There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I just pray that as we come before you, Father, that we would come to you with open hearts and open minds to experience you by your spirit through your word. And Lord, in just experiencing you, we would, we would understand you, understand your heart to ultimately become more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So last week, as we're coming down to the, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we see that Moses... Uh, standing before the people. He's offering them these choices where they can choose good and life or evil and death. And, and we see as we've been looking throughout the history of mankind that we even today here in this nation, Tove started off this morning kind of doing this comparative, but across the world what we see in particularly here is that we as humans, we have this tendency to worship the gods of money and military power. And in this nation we have done so bringing judgment on the land as the innocent blood cries out. And last week we read, it says, and evil will befall you in the later days because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as witness for it will not be forgotten in the mouth of their descendants for I know the inclination of the behavior today even before I have brought them into the land of which I have sworn to give to them. And so God's saying, I know how this is going to go. I know that that once you receive my blessings, you're going to actually start to worship my blessings instead of me, the one who has provided them. And he says, and when you do that, this this evil is going to befall upon you and you find yourself in an absolute mess. Know that my word is not far from you. In fact, he even gives them this this device. He he says, I want you to, to learn a song, Moses, and I want you to teach them this song. And that's what we're looking at today. Deuteronomy 32 is the song that God gave Moses to learn that then he taught to the people. And so even that to understand that when we find ourselves in that spot and go, so Lord, what do I do with myself in this condition? How, how do we make things? How do things get any better? And God actually told us to be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And that's something we're called to never forget. Again, when we find ourselves with the enemy bearing down on us to know that we can raise our hands in praise. Why? Because the war is won. Chaos has been defeated by Jesus who we can walk with forever as we have now become the new Eden for this world. Again, that we can look to the Lord for the battle belongs to him and we can raise his banner high, sing his praise so that all may know that Jesus is the eternal victor for you and for the whole world. And as we sing that song, would the song of Moses ring out to us? So this song of Moses, chapter 32, it's going to have a, within it, it starts off like a, a challenge and reproof and even prophecy. 
Now, chapter 31, verse 30, it, it's actually kind of an interesting break because it says, Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. And now we come to chapter 32. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words from my mouth. And so even here, as God starts off again, remember that standard by two or three witnesses, um, a matter is established as fact. And so God is calling on heaven and earth as his example. He says, these are my witnesses. What he's about to say come before you is the word of God is true. As Jesus would say in John chapter 17, verse 17, he says, sanctify them by your word for your word is truth. Verse 2, this word, as he speaks his words, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. Again, we're in springtime. We're having this crazy weather going from 40s to 90s in a couple of days. And it's just not, so, is it going to rain? Is it not? But, but in this valley, in ourselves, we see what happens when that, that spring rain comes. And again, it, 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 it's a refreshing. It, it, it settles the dust. And you just have those mornings sometimes where it's just that crisp, nice smell. Even on asphalt, some of them. Maybe I'm the weird one. Even that wet asphalt, asphalt in the morning can, can be kind of nice. And again, it's this, just this time of refreshing. And he's saying this, this word that he's giving, it, it's, not, it's not to be a burden. It's actually to be as the dew on, on the grass and the herbs. It's to be a, a refreshing word for life. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, upright and righteous as he is. And again, this isn't some yin-yang God. I know that there's this world out there that wants to say, well, there's a little bit of good and a little bad and everything. God says, enough with that nonsense. No, all his ways are perfect. It's not mostly good. It's not this, oh, trying to find balance in the force. It is simply, he says, no, all my ways are perfect without injustice. That he is the rock, not Dwayne Johnson. He's the true rock. The one by which, you know, I, I was speaking with a, a gentleman this week and, and he shared something with me that, that I didn't even really know. I mean, I, I guess in this, again, in this valley, I should know this, but he was talking about the salmon run. If you guys ever watch those, when the salmon are going, he's talking about how they're going upstream, they're going upstream, they're getting, they, they get tired. He's like, and there's something that they know, that along the river are these rocks, and what happens around these rocks is, is these little eddies will start to form, and this water will just swirl right around the rock. He's like, watch the salmon. What they'll do is, as they're getting tired, they'll actually just kind of sit in the stream around the rock, and as they draw close to the rock, they find their strength getting renewed so that they can keep going upstream, and this call that he is the rock. And when you find yourself tired and worn out, he's saying, draw near to me. Just get into my sphere and find rest. He is perfect and true. Verse 5, they have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who brought you, who bought you? He has made you and established you. And this is God saying he, that he come, he, he has bought them with, with this blood of the innocent, pulled them out of the land of Egypt. And he's saying, this, this, is, the, this is how you repay God's love. First Corinthians, Paul will give us a, a same kind of admonishment when he says, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And what price 
did God value you at? Again, I've mentioned this many times. Whenever you watch Shark Tank, right, they'll get into debates about back and forth how much this company is worth, and they'll go, and, and I'll never forget this Mark Cuban, just this one young guy, he thought he was worth millions, and, and as he kept going back and forth, and Mark just looked right at him and says, look, your company is only worth what someone is willing to pay for. And that cements this concept to those who buy and purchase and set value, that the value of something is set by what someone was willing to pay. And what is it that God bought you with? What price did he set for you? Where it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And in Psalm 40 verse 2, he also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock and established my steps. They hear God is saying, I bought you. But again, not because of some weird, but he's saying that is the value I have set in each and every one of you, that you are worth the life of my son. That is the value that God has set on every one of you. And he says that not only does he do that, but he doesn't just leave you floundering around. He tells you to draw close and actually pulls us up out of the muck and murk and dirt and chaos of our lives and establishes us on himself, that rock. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam and he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. When did this happen? We've talked about this a few times as we've been making our way through the scripture. We've even referenced this verse when we were going through Genesis 11 because that's when this event was. When did God separate the children of Adam? It was at Babel. When they had all, instead of being an obedience, spread out, but they had come to one place, and it says that God separated man, that he confused the language, and each one went his own way. And if you read there, I actually like the version that uh, Julia read out of this morning, because something might have, should almost click, because as you read that, because it says that they separate, he separated according to the sons of Israel, but there's an issue here. There was no nation of Israel at Babel. We haven't even got there yet. And so as you read that phrase, and in fact, when you look at the Septuagint translation backed up by the Dead Sea Scrolls, what it's actually that sons of Israel, Israel, if you guys remember, as Jacob would fight, it is the, it is the meaning God prevails. So what does Israel mean? It, it means God who prevails. So it is the sons of God who prevails, or again, by Dead Sea Scrolls, even simply translated, is that it is the sons of God. Again, what should this invoke? This is, this is that Genesis 6 language. This is the Bene Elohim likened to that, that this is the sons of God, or, or as he established, so it's saying that as he divided the nations. That what he did is at that place where these rebellious spirits sought themselves to be worshiped at God. He says, you want their worship? You want to be linked to them? Then you think yourself a God, you will die like mortal men, as told to us in Psalms. And at that moment, the punishment of those rebellious spirits was says, this is your allotment. You want them? I'm allotting to them you. You are now going to share their faith. Essentially, he landlocked these rebellious spirits. Again, throughout all of human existence, there has been a spiritual rebellion. That has gone from the garden to today. And man's rebellion against God has been intermingled with this demonic rebellion. 
And within that, I want you guys to look at verse 9. Is that as he is separating it out and saying, they want to worship you, you want to worship, they're yours. And it says in verse 9, for the Lord's portion, his people, Jacob is the place of his inheritance. That God says in the midst of this, as, as he's choosing out, as, as he's separating, saying, in this moment, again, in Genesis 11 at, at Babel, he divides as we saw in Genesis 10, these, this table of nations, and he divides this table of nations up by these rebellious spirits. And then what happens in Genesis chapter 12, if you remember, right after Babel? It's the call of Abraham. That is, God is saying, you want them, and he lost each and every one. He looks at Abraham and says, but I'm allotting myself to you. I am choosing you. As we read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. So he's saying, you rebellious spirits, you know what you're going to inherit? You're going to inherit the faith or the fate of these mortals. And then he looks at these people and he says, you're my inheritance. That he calls the people by faith his inheritance that he looks at his sons and daughters by faith and he says, you're my prize. You're my inheritance. You're my portion. As Acts chapter 17 tells us, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all, breath and all things. And he has made them from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Verse 10 says, he found them in the desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. I love that. I don't know about you guys, but that song always comes to my mind when I, when I read verses like that, that God is calling us the apple of his eye. Again, I, I'll just say the words right there. There's that song, sweet pea, apple of my eye. Yeah, yeah. You guys know what you want to talk about? No? Great song. Go look at it. Just type it in. You'll, you'll enjoy what, that much better than what just happened. Just saying. But in the song, it talks about how this person who's the apple of this song writer's eye is that they're the reason he keeps coming back, keeps coming back. And God says, that's you. You are the apple of his eye. That's his feeling towards you. And in the Hebrew, it, it takes on almost an even deeper meaning because the word apple of the eye actually means pupil. And actually what that phrase in Hebrew really means is he's, he's saying, you're the little man in my eye. And what, what does that mean? He's saying, have you guys ever been so close to somebody face to face that you can actually see yourself in their eye? God's saying, that's what I want us to be like. I, I want you so close I want to keep you so close. You are so precious to me. I want us to be so close that you're the little guy in my eye. You are the apple of my eye, the reason I keep coming back. You are his special treasure that he valued at the life of his son. Verse 11, as the eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him. And there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride in the heights of the earth he, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, courage from the cattle and milk from the flock. 
with fat of lambs and rams, of the breed of Bashan and goats with the choicest wheat, and you drink wine, the blood of grapes. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat and you grew thick. You are obese. Then he forsook God and made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Again, we've, we've looked at this and God says, this is what happens, that prosperity leads to idolatry. That as God is pouring out his blessings, he says, I, I pour out my blessings upon you and you grow fat and lazy on them and then you kick against me, the one who provided. You scorn me, the rock of your salvation. And then in ignorance, you begin to worship demons with the things I have provided you with. Again, and just just. In this moment, understanding that though you may be ignorant to the fact that he still calls it what it is, is to worship these powers of money and wealth, to seek after self-definition, all of these things he says, that is ignorant though it may be, it is still demonic worship. To worship the gods of this world that are, as scripture just said to us, demons. Deuteronomy 29, 26 says, For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods they did not know that he had not given to them. And as again we see this, it's, we go all the way back, it's who are these forces? When Genesis 6, we heard about the gods of this world, it's again the, the Bene Elohim created the Nephilim. And then what we see in Genesis 11, it is those new gods, those who have re-kicked off the Genesis 6 project. And he says that they are now worshiping these new ones who have come again. Verse 18, of the rock who begot you. You are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face for them. I will see what their end will be for they are perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. And yet 2 Timothy will remind us, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. That a God who's saying, remember, why did he tell them to learn this song? He said, when you're out there, when everything's going nuts, when everything's going crazy because of the rebellion that he said he knew we would do, his word is true and not far from us. He says, I want you to recall this song. I want you to recall the fact that you're the apple of my eye, that I bought you and placed that value upon you. Verse 21, they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. For a fire, fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set fire the foundation of the mountains." As we're entering into these last days, we are in them. Second Peter tells us of this moment where it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Again, scripture tells us that everything consists in the hand of God. That is Jesus who made all things, in him all things consist and he's holding things together. 
We think ourselves smart because we devised a weapon that can take an atom and break it apart. And when that bond is broken, an explosion and devastation like this world has never seen takes place, and we think ourselves powerful. And yet he's saying, I am holding every single one of these elements together. There is coming the day of the Lord where he says, I will let it loose, and with a fervent heat, every element and its bonds will melt away. With an explosion upon explosion, a fervent heat. 23 says, I will heap disasters on them. I will spin my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. And it's interesting, again, as we see times closer and closer to this day rapidly coming, guys, it is rapidly approaching this day of the Lord and his return. As we see in, in Revelation, we, we see about these, this pestilence and we see this, these outbreaks. There's this interesting, in First Chronicles, there's this imagery as there's an outbreak in the children of Israel of pestilence. And as all of that's going on and, and these things are breaking out, just the imagery that's invoked here, it says, so the Lord commanded the angel and he returned his sword to his sheath. As God commanded and the pestilence breaks out, that is this, this angel who has his sword drawn and as he points to the enemies of this world, that it says that this is breaking out and then it's going to come the day that he will put the sword back in its sheath. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poison of serpents of the dust, the sword sh- shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within. For young man and virgin, the nursing child, the man with gray hair- hairs, I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make the memory of them cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who has done this, So again, what he's saying is his pullback as he is not only telling us in the far what will happen to our time, but even for Israel itself, he says, here's the thing. He's going to relent as he's going to send enemy to bring on this devastation, this pestilence and war will break out. He says, I'm going to pull back for a moment for this one reason. I don't want the enemy for a second thinking that this is because they're powerful and mighty. That they will, they will take on, in fact, we're going to see that's, going to very, that's exactly what's going to happen as Nebuchadnezzar will think himself to be God. And God's going to tell him by the time we get there in Daniel exactly who is in charge. To think that men by their military conquest think themselves by their power and goes, uh, don't get confused who's in charge here. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this that they would consider their later end. And again, as we speak of these end times, as we speak of this time coming, that even as God, again, when you see his heart, he's, he's saying, this is the punishment that you're going to bring on yourself. And yet in that, his heart breaking for you, saying, oh, that, you, that you can look down the road and see this coming, that you would understand all that I've done for you, the avoidance of destruction may not be easy, but it is simple and it is your choice. As Proverbs 27, 21 reminds us, the prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And God is saying, see it coming down. The unwinding is happening. The loosening has begun and the end is close. And he's saying, look, 
Look down the way. There's a path that leads to destruction. You don't have to just stay on that and pay the price. Know that he already paid it for you. As Revelation will remind us, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Again, the book of Revelation and all of that we read and it can be chaos with the imagery as you're trying to put the pieces, but at the very beginning of the book, he's saying all of this, the imagery, all of the things that I'm trying to communicate to you, the time is coming quickly and he says, and to look at this, be able to look down the road should be a blessing to have hope of knowing who sits on the throne, who is in charge. Verse 30, how could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight unless the rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them. And it's again, wanting God, God wanting to make it clear. When these things happen, Nebuchadnezzar, don't think yourself mighty. Men of this world who think yourself powerful because you can split a single atom, he holds every single one of them in his hand. And he's saying, why did this happen? Because that they turned their back on him and walked away. He says, he'll let you walk away. As Romans says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. But 31 reminds us, for their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves being judges, for their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is poisonous, the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. He's saying, you know what? It might feel good. It might taste good. It might be enjoyable for a moment, but it's poison. Giving in to anger and rage. It might feel good for a moment. It might make you feel powerful, but it's poison. You might be frustrated inside and walk up to a man and slap him across the face only to destroy your entire character. And in a moment, it might feel good only to realize it has tainted and become venomous to everything. What an example for our lives to what happens when someone is broken and hurting and frustrated and to act that out might make you feel strong. You might think you've taken some sort of power back, but instead it is actually a poison that will kill you. Bitterness, rage, envy, lust, all in these moments. He doesn't even try and disguise it. Oh, it's going to taste good. He's calling it wine. He says it's pleasure. It's gonna, it's gonna be good for a moment, and then it will seep in and it will destroy every fabric of who you are. Is this not laid up in the store with me, sealed among my treasures? Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. Again, what God is saying is. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You don't have to feel the need to to take out vengeance and to avenge your honor. God's saying, let me do that. I'm really good at it. Read the last book of the Bible. Read this psalm. He's saying, I am good at defending my people. Let me do that. And in doing so, don't end your hastiness. Get ahead of the Lord and try and take vengeance that belongs to him. Because we can't do it. We'll, We'll end up, we'll end up, drinking of that venomous cup. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining, bond or free, he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge. 
who ate the fat of their sacrifice and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you and be your refuge. That's saying you're going to worship them. You want them to be your God. And then when things get crazy, where are they? I thought this is who you wanted. You worship them like they could give you power. You sought after these things. Like, where is that refuge now? I know this might seem silly, but in my head I read this and, and I can't but help but think, that's right, you wanted it, phenomenal cosmic powers and everything that comes with it. He goes, from right to far, he wishes to be any bit of living space. That's exactly what actually, it's, it's, that illustration is so perfect because we will seek after these things of pleasure and power and think to ourselves, I have learned the secrets to infinite power. And God says, nope, it puts you in chains and you'll find yourself in itty bitty living space. But instead what he has for you is he has the grandeur and freedom to walk with him, and talk with him and to trust and rely on him because that is always what the promises of this world will lead to to bondage and imprisonment. How do we know this? Because 39. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. That God is so dimensionally higher and greater. When he says no God beside me, again, some people get this confused. Wait, don't we just read in Deuteronomy that there are gods of this world and they're the demons of the world? So how, again, God's not saying that they don't exist. He's saying, look to my left, look to my right that he is so dimensionally, infinitely greater, there are none beside him. He is Elohim of Elohim. He says, I am God, and where are they? There, there's, you know, I, I can't help but think of it. There's this meme out there of a certain individual. I'm sure you guys seen it, the, the gif, and you know, the guy walks into a room, and hmm? Hmm? Where, where is he? If you guys know which one I'm talking about, you guys can look it up yourself. But that's the scene I get. It's that God, he's, he's in the room, he's looking to his left and his right, he's like, where? Nope, does anyone see? Nope, no God beside me. That is what he's saying here. He is so much greater. It's not that they don't exist. They think themselves God. And he goes, poultry. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword, and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. And as we reach this very last verse, it's the last verse, this has been a song to remember. And as we reach this last song, I want you guys to, Pay attention here. After all of this, he's talking about, again, this is God's heart to us of where he wants us when we find ourselves in the chaos of our disobedience, the thing to remember. That he bought you and set the value of that of his son. That you are the apple of his eye. He says, there's no, there's, there's no other God beside me. I am the rock by which you can find rejuvenation and strength. I will establish your steps, pull you up out of the chaos. There are no gods beside him. It says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. Now again, to, to pull this all around as we get to this last verse, 
the Dead Sea Scrolls within this verse, it elongates that first part of that last verse, and it says, Delight, O heavens, with him, and worship him, you sons of God. I can sing, you guys think yourselves to be something mighty. He is the only one worthy of worship and praise. And then here, who is he calling? The Gentiles. Who is that? That's us, guys. That's the non-Israel. That even back here in Deuteronomy, God is calling to say, this is extended for the world. That he has brought us to be part of this amazing family. That he will provide atonement for his land and his people. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? You guys remember, as we look at this song that declares to us and talks about the fact that the world was spread apart through demonic worship and the the languages were confused. And God says, there's going to come a time where I'm going to bring us back together. And in Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, what happens? As the Holy Spirit pours out among his people, that they start speaking tongue and everyone starts going, "How, how, how are these people speaking my language from across the world. Everyone hearing what they're speaking as they're praising God, they're going, how am I hearing that at Pentecost, God says, it is the undoing of the Tower of Babel. That is what that moment was. It was God's declaration to say, I have brought them back. And it's that moment God says, I am reclaiming the nations. I am reclaiming my people from you rebellious spirits. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of the song and the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not futile thing for you because it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over to the Jordan to possess. This word is not futile. It is, it is your life is the way by which you can know life because it is truth. As we started off, he says, your word is truth. His word that declares that you are his portion. That he chose you to be his special treasure. Those who come to him by faith. Again, as we saw that in First Peter, that, that he bought you with not, not gold and corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. That as we find ourselves sometimes in the chaos of our own making, he says, but it's there. It's there in the wilderness, in the wasteland, that he kept him as the apple of his eye. And as we finish this morning, we're reminded of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. That when you find yourself stuck in the chaos. When you find your place in that place of disobedience, where do we turn? It says, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That he bought you with the blood of his son because he's saying, that is how much I love you. That even in disobedience, he says, I want to pull you in to that place of rest around the rock and I want to be so close because you're the apple of my eye. Because with that, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are and who you've made us to be. Father, I pray right now that as we come to this place of just recognizing who you are and by the cross who you have called us to be, your love for us so great that we can't even fathom. So Father, I just pray right here in this place, in this moment, that we would recognize your amazing love for us. Father, would we live our lives 
and gratitude of your completed work of the cross. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at SickosBeatSuck797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.